0: in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Pater O Indis Uranis, Ayesstete Etheto omaso, Ayesstete ton omaso, Osen urano ton gis, Ton arton ton epiousion, Dos imin simeron, Ke of ta ofeleimata Os ke mis Simon. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever, to the ages of ages. Amen. Um, Please sit down. Tonight, I want to look at certain global issues, though I will focus on one specifically in more detail and ask the question, does our church really get involved in the global reality of the 21st century, the pressing issues of the 21st century, the, the discourse, the language, the vocabulary of the 21st century, the pressing issues that are, that are affecting um, our, our world, Um, How do we respond to it? Have we responded to it? Are we a church that gets involved in global issues, or are we somehow um, kind of sectarian to the sense that we only worry about issues if they affect Greece or Cyprus, or they affect Serbia or Russia, or they affect Romania, or do we have a more um, sort of a global um, attitude towards the pressing issues of the day? So I'm I have to choose these issues um, that I believe are the most pressing issues. There are others that I haven't looked at. And given the lateness of the start tonight, I may even have to skip some of them uh, in order to get to the one that I believe is the most pressing one, uh, simply based on numbers and effect on people, Um, on pragmatic, empirical grounds. um, I suggest that the last... uh, issue is the most pressing one. What are some of the issues facing the world today? Well, there are. Let's go, uh, Dimitri. Every time you see me turn the flicker page, it means you... Yeah. Um, the issue of racism is, is a very uh, serious issue that we just have to face today. It is a, um, it, it really is a global issue. Uh, even though it is, um, the debate is occurring in the Western world, uh, nevertheless, it is, it is global. So we we'll look at what exactly that is. Um, then we have the issue of radical feminism. Now, I want to distinguish between feminism and radical feminism. They're, they are different. Um, and I will get into that, the history of feminism, very briefly. We have first wave, second wave feminism, third wave feminism. And then we have radical feminism... Uh, which who brings into the discourse the role of men in 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 a negative way, but I, I'll, I'll look at that later on. And then we have the issue of the politics of gender bending. Um, what does it mean to be a male or female? Um, are we born biologically male and female, but attitudinally one can change, one can feel, that even though they have the body of a male, that they actually feel like a woman or vice versa. Is that that real? Does that really happen? Um, And what would be the attitude of our church towards uh, the transgender issue? Um, How do we look upon it? Um, Then we have the whole issue of the gay movement um, and and its appendixes that are the variations of of the whole gay-lesbian movement, and how, what do we say about that? How do we respond to it? Finally, um, not finally, but one of the major, um, the major challenges that we have in our, in our society today, particularly Western society, is radical Islam and, and, and the whole issue of, of what we call terrorism. Um, how do we respond to radical Islam? Um, what is our attitude as an orthodox church uh, towards their, um, their uh, movements and their, and their sort of ideology? Uh, can we, what can we say about it? Okay, so given the time available, and I'll ask Father to kind of guide me into it, um, I, I will try to cover them but I don't know whether I'll be able to do justice to all of them, because I want to focus on racism particularly, and and this one here, which I believe is the most pressing of all these issues, because while radical Islam um, may kill, um, you know, per year, what is it, about 1,500 people or um, 2,000 people, you know, all over the world, in in the Western world, uh, hunger and poverty Uh, actually kills 10 million people annually, right? Six million kids will die every year of hunger. So when you do the comparisons and you do the numbers, it's clear that the greater enemy um, is hunger and poverty. But let's look at racism, okay? Now, racism, um, particularly in the United States, because it also affects us here, uh, is, is an ongoing issue, Racism is defined as the attitude, the negative attitude of one tribe, uh, whether that tribe is defined by color, white, colored, brown, black, uh, or whether um, there is, uh, you can be the same color, but you have different ethnic origins. So racism can be a, a Greek. Uh, not getting along with a Turk or vice versa. That could also be racism. Um, but we are going to define it to, to tonight in terms of color, in terms of white skin uh, versus uh, black, not versus, but in juxtaposition of the two, and as they appear in the history of the United States and how it has affected us here in, in Australia. By the way, we're not white. Um, white, this is white. We're actually pink. We're actually, we're, look, look at your skin. That's not white, right? Even the most white, quote-unquote, Nordic blonde is not white. We just use the term white. And, and black, uh, even the black people are not fully black, you know? except The only exception is South Sudan, where the, you get close to black. But we just use the term white as a convenient term and black as a convenient term. Um, Okay, what's happening with uh, racism in the United States? Uh, It began with slavery, uh, in which case uh, people from Africa, particularly from where I am, Sierra Leone, um, what is today called Gambia, Guinea, um, uh, Cote d'Ivoire, Liberia, Uh, the indigenous black people... Were actually sold on the market uh, by uh, different buyers, um, European buyers. Um, slavery, by the way, is not confined only to America. It's also the worst case of slavery was in East Africa, where the Arab slave market was very cruel um, and and very harsh. Uh, they were taken from Kenya, from Tanzania, from uh, to Yemen to Muscat, to Saudi Arabia, what is called today Saudi Arabia, and that particular slave trade was actually horrible. Not that any slave trade can be justified, but certainly in terms of the treatment of the slave, if we can compare the American uh, situation to to the East African situation, the Arab slave trade, Uh, you'd be better off to be a a slave of the United States, even though it was horrible and terrible, and not excusing it. Um, To be a slave in the United States, you were not a citizen. From the year 1790, 1790, slaves were, it was a legal legal institution. Anybody anybody who was a citizen, um, usually defined as white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, um, could own a slave, Jefferson owned slaves, George Washington owned slaves it wasn 't thought to be something wrong in those days. Uh, from the eyes from our eyes, uh, looking back diachronically in the past, we can make value judgments about the whole institution of slavery, uh, and certainly within the New Testament, we can find grounds um, to, to, for the abolishment of the institution of slavery. Um, But at any rate, um, in the American uh, circumstances, to be a slave meant not to be a citizen of the United States of America. Now, that led to all kinds of ethical and moral debates within the Americas, and it is true to say that the United Kingdom was the first nation in the Western world to to actually stand up and say, you know what? Slavery is wrong. And it was, the Anglican church played an important role here. Um, And we have already in the early 1800s, the British ships stopping American ships on the Atlantic and bombarding them and releasing the slaves and taking them to London and taking them um, to England. Um, so uh, Great Britain and the U.K. played a very positive role in the history of slavery, um, whereas the United States took longer to come to the realization about the, the, negative, uh, the, the negativity of slavery. Um, a civil war was fought in the United States on the whole issue of slavery. Um, and the South, the, the southern states, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, and so forth, They were in favor of slavery, whereas the North, uh, led by Abraham Lincoln, uh, was against it. The North won. And in a sense, um, Abraham Lincoln in 1863 declared that all slaves are free, there is no more slavery. But in the South, they continued. And in fact uh, ladies and gentlemen they continued up to the 1950s and 1960s where segregation was still practiced in the south the south I mean the southern United States Mississippi Alabama Georgia etc the Dixie so called um, Mason Dixie line south of the Mason- Dixie line uh, Abraham Lincoln um, issued the Emancipation Act 1863 in which any slave in the north was free. You could no longer buy and sell them. But in the south, because the north won, while the practice of slavery could not really continue, uh, at least legally, the practice of slavery would still linger on in various ways by denying people certain rights, citizenship rights and social rights and educational rights, economic rights, legal rights. The rise of the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan, is also part of that syndrome. Um, But at least on legal issues, uh, slavery was abolished in the United States. Now, historically, America has been uh, a a racist nation, uh, not only directed to, um, to the black people, but also uh, directed to immigrants. So every wave of immigration that came into the United States uh, would face uh, some kind of of discrimination. It it started off with the Irish. The Irish were the first to get the blunt of WASP discrimination. Um, The powers of the United States was always in white Anglo-Saxon Protestant hands. The name had to be Smith or Wilson, or Jefferson, um, you know, British names, Anglo-Saxon names, Anglo-Saxon ancestry uh, was the power elite. Um, Now, if you were Irish coming into the United States in the 1840s, 1850s, due to the potato famine in Ireland, um, you faced discrimination. The Catholic Church faced discrimination, as it did here also in Australia, which I will elaborate later on. Um, And then eventually the Italians, the Greeks, the Jews came, and each wave of new immigrant would face that same WASP discrimination. Um, It was not until after the Second World War that Jews were permitted to go to Harvard. It was not until 1946 that Jews were permitted to go to Princeton, to Brown, to Yale, the the famous Ivy League universities in the United States. And being Jewish also did not permit you to join certain clubs that were dominated by the wasps. Being Italian and Greek also didn't help. Um, The Greeks also had to struggle in the United States in the beginning. Uh, One of the reasons why the Jewish people control the media in the United States and Hollywood, as you you should know by now, um, is because that was the only only employment that was permitted to being a Jew. You could be a manual laborer, um, you could be um, a journalist, you could be an actor, a singer, a comedian. So Jews gravitated towards commerce and, and the media, and that's why today in the United States... All the media, the big media, is controlled by Jewish people. Uh, New York Times, the CNN, Fox, um, uh, Washington Post, controlled uh, by uh, the uh, Jewish, uh, the Jewish people. Now, um, so in a sense, uh, the blacks, however, on the scale of victimhood, on the scale of um, uh, discrimination, came at the bottom of the of the totem pole. Segregation in the the South continued, and even in the North to some degree. Um, You, as a black person, could not sit at the front of a bus. You had to go at the back of a bus. Uh, And if a white man or a white woman came and there was no other seat and you were sitting at the back, you had to get up and let the white man or the white woman sit down. Um, It's a system of apartheid that was practiced. Now, Rosa Parks is the first woman... Uh, to refuse to stand up, a white man came on the bus and she went and sat at the front of the bus. You're not allowed to sit at the front of the bus. That was a white uh, exclusive area. The back of the bus was for the black people. Okay, she, she refused. In 1956, she said, no, I'm sitting at the front. And uh, a white man came and said, you've got to stand up for me and you've got to go at the back, and she refused. That was Historical. That was one of the key historical moments of the birth of the Civil Rights Movement. And so the consequences were protestations that would take place. Um, Black people would refuse to uh, fall into the segregational um, mode that had been formed by the government and and the the society itself. Um, The Civil Rights Movement begins. Um, One of the most famous... uh, Names in the civil rights movement and in the emancipation of the black people seeking freedom in the United States are Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. Malcolm X is more radical, more violent, more black power, uh, Black Panther, black power type of attitude. There is, the white man is Satan. The white man you cannot, there is no discussion. Uh, we need to fight for our freedom violently with guns. Malcolm X on the other hand uh, Dr Martin Luther King uh, represents the Mahatma Gandhi type of non uh, violent uh, resistance which he was inspired he was a christian pastor he was inspired by the teachings of Jesus on the sermon on the mount blessed are the blessed are the, the peaceful uh, for they shall be called sons of god makari irinopi makari irinopi for well, they shall be uh theu. Um, so this idea of the peacemakers that you don't you don't aggressively stand up to the government, you resist. You resist by peaceful means. Martin Luther Dr Martin Luther King represented that particular movement, whereas Malcolm X and some of the other more radicals uh, took up the, the the alternative of violent protesting and so forth. Uh, So I'm going to play you the first uh, video now, okay, just to give you a taste of the mood of the day. They were fighting for their humanity. They were fighting to be acknowledged as human beings. Uh, They would would walk around with signs, I am a man, I am a man. Why? Because the white man would call the black man boy. Hey boy, come here. Hey boy. And so the, the black man responded saying, I'm not a boy, I'm a man. Uh, and uh, if you, rec- some of you may be old enough to remember, you remember Bert Newton, an Australian compare. Do you remember anybody remember Bert Newton? Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember a guy called Muhammad Ali? Yeah. Right, very famous situation occurred where um Bert Newton um, on the Bert Newton show he brought Muhammad Ali. There was the the so-called log- Logies or something, um, the Australian equivalent of the Oscar, I think. Anyway. <laughs> (laughs) So, um, and so, Bert Newton introduces Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali at that time was huge. You know, world's boxing champion, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And then, uh, now, Muhammad Ali was a black Muslim, black power, Malcolm X, uh, on the side of violent, um, you know, the, the white man is the enemy, there is no good white man, all white men are oppressive, white men have destroyed the world, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Now, Bert Newton, being Aussie and not being aware of American language and, 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 you know, contemporary American lingo, he turns around and he makes a joke with, with uh, Muhammad Ali and then he says, I like the boy, I like the boy. And Muhammad Ali says, wait a minute, what did you call me? And, and Bert Newton realized immediately his mistake, got down on his knees and in front of national television. Did anybody see that? You saw that, right. And he was begging for forgiveness in case Muhammad Ali would give him a good punch in the throat or something. Anyway, now let's come to our church. Okay, I've shown you the struggle for freedom of an oppressed people. I've shown you what they had to go through. In fact, I could have shown you more, but I didn't want to overdo it. Um, Where do we stand on this? Okay, believe it or not, the Orthodox Church in America, the Greek Orthodox Church, are you, are you there now? Archbishop Yakovos? In 1965, a very famous march took place in uh, Selma, Selma, Alabama. Alabama is a state in the south. From Selma to Montgomery, Montgomery being the big uh, capital of Alabama. And they were going to march, Dr. Martin Luther King was going to march from Selma to Montgomery, and they were going to protest the, the, the whole issue of segregation in the South. Because in the North, in Boston, New York, and so forth, it, it was okay, sort of. But in the South, they were still killing blacks, they were still kidnapping them, they were still beating them um, and segregating them. You couldn't go to university, you couldn't go to, you couldn't sit at the back, you had to sit at the back and so forth. Okay. Now, at that time, which was a very controversial time, and many white people wanted to stand away from this discussion, Archbishop Yakovos of the the Greek Orthodox Church in the United States decides to march with Martin Luther King. That was an incredible moment for, for the Greek Orthodox Church. This is the moment that the Greek Orthodox Church in America becomes mature. This is the moment that the Greek Orthodox Church becomes relevant. This is a moment that the Greek Orthodox Church has a voice in, American, in the American mainstream discourse. Up to then, the Greek Orthodox Church was an ethnic church, a ghetto church for Greeks and Cypriots. That's it. Who cares about the black people? Who cares about uh, Dr. Martin Luther King? Archbishop Iakovos brings the Greek Orthodox Church into the mainstream of American political discourse. And from then on... Uh, To some degree, the the Greek Orthodox Church in the United States is is fairly vocal, perhaps not as much as it should be, but it is vocal, uh, depending on who the Archbishop is, on on issues beyond Greece, issues beyond the ethnic interest uh, of the Greek people into the broader global uh, issues of the day. Um, it's even involved itself now in the issue of the uh, global warming and so forth, which is good to see. Now Archbishop Iacovos marches with Dr. Martin Luther King and gets himself in Life magazine and it becomes a very big deal and it gives, it opens up a new door for uh, the Greek Orthodox Church worldwide. From now on it is permissible for the Greek Orthodox Church to speak out on major issues that face uh, the society to which they have adapted as their own, whether it's Australia, whether it's the United States, whether it's Canada, whether it's Great Britain, whatever, that we are to be part of that discourse. We are not to be silent. We're not because we are immigrants or the sons of immigrants that we should not speak and we should remain Vuvi, uh, as it were, to issues beyond the Greek interest and the Cypriot interest, and uh, we need to actually thank Archbishop Yakovos for making that, um, uh, bringing that in, into into focus. If we look at the Australian situation of of racism, there is no doubt that Australia is also was also a racist nation. There is no doubt about that. Um, in the nineteenth century. Most Aborigines in Tasmania were eradicated. A, a complete genocide by the British colonial government. That's a big stain upon their conscience. And by the way, that is part of the white guilt that is now very strongly a, a, a part of Western civilization that we kind of feel guilty for the past. It's called white guilt. And it has, it has some, some repercussions. Um, If we look at Australian racism, uh, again, uh, with Australia, the worst record is with the Aboriginal people. That's the worst record that uh, the the Australian government has. But it also, and myself uh, growing up in this country as a little boy in the 60s, I I really faced it myself. Um, I remember once um, the Catholics, the Italians, the Greeks, and so forth. We are the wogs. Um, we are the Dagos, I think, um, um, and so forth. Um, having a name like Adamopoulos did not help in my assimilation, you know. And particularly my parents decided to give me Themistocles as a first name. Not very um, sort of accessible to the Anglo-Saxon tongue, you know. Um, so having the burden of a, a very long name, i mean, I mean, in Australia, right, think about it. What, what you know John Wilson, John Wilson, three syllables that's okay four syllables Mary Adams, okay, four, but that's about the limit. Once you start getting into six syllable and seven syllable nouns and uh, proper names, you're in trouble okay Mine is nine syllables right way beyond the ex- the, the, the legitimate limit of syllabic nomenclature, if you know what I'm getting at. Um, so, the the different immigration waves in Australia cause different, different attitudes. Um, with the Catholics, the same way as the United States, the Catholic Church, the Irish, are the first to get the brunt of Australian um, Anglo-WASP uh, Protestant discrimination. Do you know that in New South Wales, it's still on the on the, on, the, uh, on the law pages that you're not allowed to wear a cassock. This is illegal in Australia. This is illegal. Nobody has removed it uh, from, the constitu- from, the, from the law books. And that, the reason why the cassock is illegal is because of the Catholics. Uh, so when the Catholic priests would walk around Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane with their long cassocks, the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant would make fun of them. They say, "Well, look at him. He's, he's wearing a, a woman's dress or something, you know?" So um, they would refuse to accept the cassock. And to this day, it's illegal. It's very interesting. So that's part of the uh, discrimination against the Irish the Catholics, then the Italians, then the Greeks, the, and, and the wave of Europeans that came, and then eventually the Vietnamese and, and, and the Asians that came. So what, is, what should be our uh, orthodox response, what should be our attitude to racism in Australia? Okay? Does racism exist in Australia? Oh, you, you bet it does. Okay, And it, it exists in subtle ways, all right? Um, we've all experienced it in some way or another. Um, it is better now than it ever was before. There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt about that. But in this case, we are the victims. We are not the aggressor. We are not the ones that caused the racism that was inflicted upon us, right? But nevertheless, nevertheless, uh, we also tend to be racist in different ways. How? Well, um, l- look at the way that... the the, the Greeks in Greece talk about the Albanians or the way about the gypsies and so forth and so on, um, about the Bulgarians, about the, um, the, um, uh, the other Georgians that have come into Greece. They're, they're second-class citizens. There's no doubt about that. So racism is also very much part of our Greek DNA as well. Um, so let us not excuse ourselves also. So what, what should be the attitude of the Orthodox Christian to this challenge of racism, well, let's look at what um, it says in the um, in the uh, in, in the scriptures. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was not from your country; I was a foreigner, and I came to your country, and you welcomed me. Now that opens up all kinds of discussions about the refugee issues and so forth. I'm not going to get into it tonight um, because I want to focus on other issues. Um, And then we have the the definitive statement by St. Paul in the letter to the Galatians uh, where he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, we are one in Christ. Those of us who are Christians um, are no longer bound by national or ethnic tribal sentiments. It's part of the world system. It's part of the fallen world. It's part of the Tower of Babel system where we divide each other up. Um, in terms of race, in terms of language, in terms of ethnicity, in terms of tribe. It's a tribal issue, okay? But in the perfect uh, Christian situation, in a Christian utopia, all that goes. We are ethnically blind, we are tribally blind, we are colorblind in a perfect Christian setting. So uh, we, as Orthodox Christians, should be aware that to welcome the stranger is part of our ethos. Now, having said that, we also need to worry if the stranger is violent, and if the stranger comes into our society, and instead of accepting our values and our system of thinking, and becomes violent against us, and causes all kinds of Um, all kinds of violence and all kinds of aggression against the host nation, then we have to ask up to how long are we to be patient with that? Um, How long do we allow um, the stranger to come in and destroy our society or attempt to destroy our society? That question remains an open question. But by and large... By and large, we are obliged to welcome the stranger, and that is should be our attitude. Okay, so that's so much for the issue of racism. Um, let's look at radical... I'm not looking at feminism. Please try to understand that. I'm not looking at feminism itself. I'm looking at radical feminism, okay? And I'm looking at the whole issue of the transgender um, uh, debate, Why? Well, it's part of the global reality. This is part of the challenge that is facing Western civilization. How are we as Orthodox to look upon it, and how are we to understand it? Are we to be uh, one way or another way? Which way do we turn? How do we we conclude our attitudes towards um, the issue of radical feminism and the issue of um, transgender and the LB? Q, uh, blah da 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 thing. Okay, now feminism begins as a noble idea. There is no doubt that um, uh, male society, which prevailed up to the nineteenth century, male-dominated society, did put certain limits on women, and did put and did exploit to a large degree um, the feminine. Okay, Um, so one does not, um, one cannot deny that there was discrimination, that there was exploitation, and there was there was a sense of um, um, somehow women were being done by unjustly. There is no doubt about that. Okay, all right. Now, however, we have the first wave of feminism: women that will stand up and say this is unacceptable. What is going on? Remember, women could not vote uh, in Great Britain up to 1913, up to the First World War. Women could not vote. That's quite unbelievable, right? Um, So they started the first wave of feminism, goes back to the early 20th century. They started to protest the suffragettes in order to get the right to vote, okay, and also legal rights, inheritance rights and so forth. Um, a very famous incident occurred in 1913 um, at the um, at the Royal Escort Racecourse. A very famous incident occurred that would forever change um, the attitudes towards women. Listen to what happened. Okay, She became a martyr for the, the suffragettes, the women's cause for vote and legal rights, and she won. Um, public sympathy turns towards the cause, and soon women would be allowed to vote and to have certain legal rights that were denied of them before. Um, economic, there was economic equi- uh, a, a striving towards uh, economic equilibrium that started back in the 1930s, so let us not think that the feminist movement begins in the 1960s with Germaine Greer and Betty Friedan and so forth. The feminist movement begins with uh, with the early 19 uh, early 20th century, um, and even um, um, among the French uh, the French writers Jean Paul Sartre and uh, and uh, and so forth. There was a lot of discussion about women's rights. It wasn't the 1960s. But the 1960s were important in that it brought it into popular focus. Um, And from then on, from the 60s on, we have the so-called third-wave feminism, fourth-wave feminism. But women have achieved a lot since that time. Um, Economic equality is, in many places, it's uh, advantageous to be a woman today, um, where... um, You know, because certain quotas are there, um, certain industries want to appear to be um, sort of uh, politically correct, and therefore they will hire women uh, uh, to to men. Um, So there's no doubt that being a woman today, uh, you have advantages that you never had before in history. And that is due to the the feminist movement. So we, we cannot deny that, no matter how you want to look at it. You have to acknowledge that it did achieve many things. Uh, Legal rights, social equality and political equality. We have uh, women that are presidents, prime ministers, uh, Merkel of Germany, very powerful, Uh, uh, Theresa May in the United Kingdom. Uh, Okay, Uh, Hillary Clinton didn't make it, but she was certainly a a, a possibility. Um, And and we had a a female prime minister in Australia. Gillard and so forth. So the feminist movement has achieved quite a bit. A lot, actually, for women. Now, what I want to talk about is not the feminist movement and what it has achieved. I think none of us can disagree with that as Christians, okay? But there is one side of, of the feminist movement that is sort of slightly toxic. And what this movement is is the anti-male Wing of feminism, the radical, the radical uh, wing of feminism, in which um, the masculine is seen as toxic, the masculine is the enemy, uh, the masculine is the aggressive, um, the masculine is the pathological, uh, the masculine is the exploitative. So men are the enemy. Men are the enemy, and men become at the bottom of the hierarchy. Of, um of of those who are um, to be seen as victims uh, the highest point of victimhood would be um, uh, 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 being black, being a lesbian, being gay, being transgender that's higher up on the on the scale of priority of our modern Western civilization, Uh, than it is to be a straight white male, uh, particularly Anglo-Saxon. Now, you're at the bottom of the social pile. You're at the bottom of the hierarchy of what society considers to be politically correct. So if if you are John Smith and you are going for a job and you're going to compete with uh, a black lesbian lady, she's going to get the job. You're not going to get it. Okay, that's certainly true in America, and I think to some degree it's coming here as well. Um, so this is the negative part of feminism, of radical feminism, and the, it is the idealization of the feminine. The feminine is divine. The feminine is, 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 is ultimately the, the correct human being. Um, the the masculine is, is the opposite. It's it's the it's the toxic side of the human yin yang. It is the negative side, um, and and to to a large degree, um, all errors in society are attributed historically. To the patriarchal society. It's the patriarchal society that established colonies. It's the patriarchal society that, that eradicated the aborigines in Australia. It's the blah, 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 blah. It is the male white man who is poison. Okay? So now, in order to restore the balance, we must push aside the white male and allow the feminine to come in. Because now, by allowing the feminine to come in, we are going to start a new age, the new enlightenment, the new period where humanity achieves its perfect destiny. And it's only women and the feminine principle that can lead us to that final dawn of destiny, of glory. The masculine has to be pushed aside, okay? Um, this is one of the results of radical, of radical feminism, um, now, the, um, it's the, the, the flip side of that is that males are portrayed on commercials and television shows as inevitably being confused, bumbling, um, idiotic. Um, it, the woman has to step in to put order in, in an otherwise confused world. Okay? Um, and. It's the rise of the effeminate. It's the rise of um, that men um, from little boys have to stop their um, feelings of masculinity and sublimate them and, and, and incorporate within themselves more feminine, more feminine uh, impulses. Um, and in the United States, as a boy, you're punished. You're punished if you show too much aggression. If you show too much masculinity, um, you you become a a social pariah. So from now on, it's happening already in the United States, and obviously it's going to come here, where the masculine is going to be sidelined because the feminine is the utopian. The feminine is the perfect form of human thinking and human destiny. Now, having said all that... um, the, the whole issue uh, of the um, transgender comes into play, which I will mention very briefly in a minute. But what would be our attitude to radical feminism? Well, we as a church must always go back to the Holy Scriptures. And I know that a, a radical feminist would have no place at all for radical for Scripture. I understand that. And I understand that if I go on television and I quote the Bible, I will be laughed at. And the authority of the Bible has gone. Why? Because Christianity is a white man seen as the white man's uh, bastion. It is the the refuge of the white man. Okay? So because it is the so-called refuge of the white man, Christianity is out. It's out. It's no longer uh, to be heard or to be listened to. Islam has more authority now in as a voice within the United States and perhaps here as well soon, I'm not sure, um, because it, it is not identified with the white, male, Anglo-Saxon uh, male. Christianity is seen as aggressive, exploitative, and so forth. Um, okay, so what is our response to that? Our response... Uh, particularly with the effeminization of civilization. And the, I wonder how many gay men have become victims of that, that they believe they're gay because of this social pressure to, to eradicate their masculine impulses and to adopt feminine impulses. And so they may start thinking, well, then maybe I'm a woman. Maybe I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a man, you know. Because of this pressure that is being put upon men today not to be masculine, not to be masculine, you see. Um, so maybe that explains uh, why some men become gay. It may not explain everything, okay? I understand that. Um, so what is, what, is the, um, what is the orthodox position on that? Um, there is neither male nor female. We are one in Christ. So the so what the Bible is teaching us is that there should be a balance between the masculine and the feminine. Um, that this harmony should not be disturbed. God made us male and female and blessed them, it says in the book of Genesis. Uh, he created them male and female and he blessed them. So, In God's plan, there is male and female. And you cannot say one should be superior to the other or that one of them should be demonized and made to look toxic and made to look completely uh, unacceptable and and another one to be seen as superior, ideal, heroic, and and so forth. That is a, a natural disharmony of God's creation. Yes, men have made mistakes in the past for the exploitation of women, undoubtedly, but that was another generation. It's not, the new, it's not this generation or the generation before. So it should not, we should not be punished. We uh, males, white males, should not be punished for something that happened 100 years ago that we have no control over. You see, this is one of the eras of radical feminism that we are being punished uh, today, the white male. Now, uh, so the Christian answer or uh, response is, Let there be harmony. That's what the Bible says. There has to be harmony between the male and the female. Once we achieve that harmony, everything's okay. Because God has given women certain, um, certain prerogatives that men do not have. Um, I cannot give birth to a child. I can't do it. It's biologically impossible, right? On the other hand, men by nature are stronger than women, physically stronger. Okay, what does that mean? What what does that all mean? I mean, we can't ignore um, the, the motherhood issue. We can't ignore the fatherhood issue and so forth. The social experiment of today may be, and in my mind, is dangerous because it leads to the breakdown of the traditional family, and it leads to the breakdown of God's ordained gender distinctions. Um, so let's just move on, um, because I really want to get to the part that I want to talk about. Um, the politics of gender, uh, gender bending. Gender bending. Um, okay, w- where does that come from? Well, it's not, there's no doubt that the rise of the feminine and the rise and the degradation of the masculine has produced ideas that say that um, the way I feel has nothing to do with my biology. It has to do with the patriarchal society that inflicted upon me certain values which I now believe, but are wrong. So this whole now experiment, this gender experiment that is taking place, is a reaction to the traditional values of male and female being seen as oppressive, being seen as somehow part of the male agenda, right? Therefore, um, the new way forward is the freedom of choice uh, of gender. It's the, the, the democratization of gender, so to speak. And so to that degree, you can be born biologically a certain gender, but it's what you feel inside that will determine it. Here is the problem, that young children, right, at the age of four and five, are now being given hormone tablets and and surgery and all kinds of things to make them either female or to make them male when they are not biologically so which which is dangerous why is it dangerous because look at it let's say now at the age of 5 you feel feminine and you're a, you're a male but then you reach 15 16 and all the male impulses kick in but it's too late you've had the surgery you've had the hormones it's irreversible that is cruel so what they're doing to children today is cruel and and and, and it should be really, really condemned. So this is a 70-year-old girl, a boy, right, who wants to be a girl. Okay, what happens when he becomes or she becomes 17, 18, and he he, he or she believes that it's time to go back? It's too late. It's too late. So I, I, really, I really think it's so unfair to be um, experimenting and look, you you look at the scientists and the medical profession that is taking part in these experiments, and they will tell you, we don't know what's going to happen. This is brand new medicine for us. We don't know what the effects will be. These are the pioneers. They call them the pioneer generation. That girl, that boy is a pioneer generation. Maybe when he's 30 and 40 he'll get cancer. Who knows what will happen? Okay? So, our attitudes as Orthodox Christian is that that practice of permitting little kids to choose for themselves whether they're a boy or girl should be stopped immediately and should not be encouraged in any way whatsoever. Um, Indeed, this is what the Bible says, um, that God created the male and female and he blessed them. What did he bless? The male and the female. He blessed the male, he blessed the female. Okay? So, and then um, concerning certain uh, practices of the gay and the lesbians, uh, again, our attitude should be one of compassion, should be one of love, should be one of understanding. We should not try to um, be angry or be um, judgmental. You uh, should always adopt an attitude of love. Uh, we love the gay. We love the lesbian. We love the transgender. We love them. They are human beings, they're created, uh, they're human beings, um, and we have an obligation to love them. However, we also have an obli- obligation not to agree with their lifestyle. In the same way that I, I love people who smoke, I love people who are uh, 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 thieves, I love people who are adulterers, but I don't like what they're doing. So we need to distinguish this idea of judging people on the basis of their actions rather than on the basis of their personality. Um, We, I repeat, as an Orthodox Church, should be very open and very um, sort of compassionate and understanding to, to gay, lesbians, to transgender and so forth. We should not have an aggressive attitude. They should not be aggressive whatsoever. We should be be compassionate and understanding. And maybe that way will be more effective towards bringing people to understand um, the the reality and the truth rather than just condemning outright um, without any uh, chance of forgiveness and compassion. Okay, finally, um, Islamic terrorism... Is one of the issues facing us today. Um, it doesn't need much for me to tell you. We utterly condemn it. it has no part in, in, in our civilization. It is, it is barbaric. It, it, it cannot be tolerated. We are completely uh, opposed to um, the beheadings of people, the slavery of people, the, the, uh, the killing of people, the burning alive of people, that we reject completely. Um, there is no discussion about that. Now I come to the point that I, I, I always wanted to get to, which is uh, global poverty, uh, particularly African poverty. The ten poorest nations in the world are in Africa, Sierra Leone being uh, one of them. Three billion people in the world, uh, in Africa, live under $2.50 a day. Three billion people. Uh, in, in in the in the world rather live under half the world approximately lives um, with under $2, uh, 250 a day 2 dollars50 1.3 billion people live in in absolute abject poverty um, less than 1.25 dollars a day six million children die every day every year in africa six million children will die today um, about 16 nearly 17,000 children have died. Tomorrow, another 17,000 children will die. On Friday, another 17,000 children will die, okay, in Africa, uh, due to hunger and other causes. Every five seconds, one child has died in Africa of hunger. And all of them are under the age of five. All of them under the age of five. What causes this tragedy? Poverty. Families without much money making choices that are very difficult. Um, yeah, hunger, the absence of daily food, um, abandonment. Uh, a, a woman may have three or four kids. She can't bring them up. She has to choose which one will stay, which one will go. If you're disabled, you'll go. Um, then we have wars. We have boy soldiers, and then we have diseases, HIV. Uh, 14 million children in Africa have HIV, Uh, malaria, Ebola recently hit Sierra Leone, Uh, we lost thousands and thousands of people, including children. Malaria kills um, many, many, kills millions. Um, We have many fevers in Africa, Um, one of them, Lassa fever, is, is an Ebola type of fever but not with the same death rate, 20% death rate, as opposed to the 80% of Ebola. Um, Then we have uh, diarrhea, which causes also um, um, uh, under five kids to die. Um, Now, we have to uh, ask ourselves, what does the Orthodox Church say about world poverty? What, What do we say, what are we doing about this global issue of poverty? How do we address it and what is our responsibility? After all, we are the second largest church in the world. Do we have any, any uh, vision, any, 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 uh, any scope, any ideas about it? Are we involved at all in fighting world poverty? What is our responsibility? The, the unique teachings of Christ found in St. Matthew 25, 31 to 46, is the answer. Okay, so the clear um, understanding of the scriptures is, uh, particularly the teachings of Jesus, is that the poor, he is part of that. He is in solidarity with the oppressed of the world, he is in solidarity with the sick, he is in solidarity with the hungry. He is in solidarity with the thirsty, with the naked, with the prisoner. This is unique in all religions. You could be an atheist, you could be a Buddhist, and you have to acknowledge that you don't find that in the Quran. you don't find that in the Bhagavad Gita, you don't find that in the, in the Torah, in the Old Testament. You don't find that. This is very unique to us Christians. Uh, this complete identification of the founder of Christianity, Jesus, the Son of God, with the oppressed. It's unique, absolutely unique. And to say, whatever you do to the poor, whatever you, every time you feed the hungry, you do that to me. Unheard of. This is, this is the, unique, um, the unique teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, to get back to the question, what are we doing as an Orthodox Church uh, in the global poverty um, structures and particularly in Africa, which is the worst. Well, we are doing something. We are doing something. Um, And I will show you, um, because we are, uh, the Greek Orthodox Church is in Africa, uh, the Patriarchate of Alexandria. We are in South Africa. We are in Congo. We are in Madagascar. We are in Kenya. We are in Uganda. We are in Nigeria. And, And we're doing the best we can. So we are involved in this global fight against poverty as instructed by Jesus. All right, um, maybe if you have some questions or comments to make, um, I hope we still have a bit of time for that. It's up to you. What can we do to help? Right, in terms of the poverty issue, um, there are a number of ways you can help. One is you pray uh, that God will Um, assist us, two, um, you volunteer to come and and to assist there if you have certain skills, you know. Three, uh, financially by giving donations, Uh, four, by um, just networking uh, with people and just bringing awareness of the needs we have over there. Um,
1: How do we uh, volunteer how do we? How do we volunteer? For oh, how that? do we volunteer?
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um it, you know, it there is a difference between what is known as uh kind of third world tourism, and there is a difference between that and a legitimate a legitimate uh kind of uh feeling to help people. Okay, you have to the latter is, is the is the real McCoy. Okay. So if you're led to help you have to ask yourself what can you do what skills do you bring are you a nurse are you a doctor are you a teacher are you a carpenter are you a plumber are you an electrician are you a teacher are you a you know what are you okay and you need to ask yourself what what skills do i bring to the mission and if those skills are required that's good what we try to avoid is people just coming there out of curiosity or, you know, um, just tourism, just sort of third world tourism, you know. That becomes a liability for us because we have to pay for your electricity at night, because electricity is very rare, it's not frequent. And we have to pay for diesel to keep the lights on, we have to drive you around, we have to give you food, That costs, you see. So if somebody comes there just to be there out of curiosity, it's not a good idea. But if somebody comes there because they're going to do something, they're really going to do something, fantastic. You're wondering?
1: I was just wondering how.
0: How? Well, I I, I go back. What skills would you bring Okay, that's if you want to volunteer, but yeah. there are other ways you can help yeah. besides volunteering. I mean, volunteering would be frontline work, okay? Yeah. But there's also behind-the-scenes work, such as we, there's an organization called Paradise for Kids. Um, it's uh, in Australia, it's in the, in the UK, it's in America. Um, and they, they kind of um, do functions, they organize. Do we have anybody from Paradise Kids tonight? Okay, well, you, okay, do you want to come? And uh, Jane? Yeah. Is it, where's Jane? Hello, Ella Jane. Oh. Just tell them
1: about paradise. Okay, this lady does
0: great work for us.
1: <laughs> um, maybe have a talk to me afterwards about what you asked. Um, well, our organisation, we've got a committee of 10, and does everybody. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of you here who are already um, monthly donate, you know, donators, but the best way you can help this mission, this, you know, besides giving a one-off or when we have function, you attend, you're, and um, you're an incredible community. We should be all very proud to be part of this mission. I know I am, Father Themi, and I say that with humbleness, not from, you know, any other thing. But the way you can help is the best way is the easy donate. Now, I have forms here tonight, and the way you help is that $20 a month, that's all we ask for. It's such an easy way to give money. I mean, when you belong to a gym, they take out monthly your, you know... $38 or whatever. It's similar. It comes out, you know, every month, $20. um, You will receive notification of that, that the $20 is going to be taken out of your account. It's very secure. Anytime you want to stop it, you can. It's such a flexible, but it's the sustainable money and it allows um, the mission, Father Themi, to budget. Because the costs there are real and they're every day. So the feeding program. So what this Easy Donate does, it pays for all those things to run the mission, to feed the poor, for the petrol, for the electricity, to pay the staff. All the teachers there who the mission employs get a salary And their salary is above what the government pays them. So people are paid well there. So they're able to help their families. It's quite a unique mission, you know. But And the help we get from Australia, from especially Melbourne. Melbourne is the best supporters. Sorry, can I say that, Father (laughs) Temmie? With all, you know. You know, it's amazing the amount of money raised by Melbourne every year, you know, and the love that the people have for this mission. So tonight I've got the forms. Any question you may have regarding how to donate, please come and talk to me. Um, who, who, you know, it really surprises me. Yesterday, Father Themi was at um, Brunswick, at the Brunswick use Vasilios, and I was standing these young couple was standing in front of me and when father um themi was talking they said and i heard them sorry but i heard them say oh we've never heard of father themi where you know and as soon as i heard that i interrupted them and i i gave them i had a leaflet and i gave them to and i said please read this it's paradise for kids you know have a read of the um The church, what the church is doing in Sierra Leone. And um, they were from the Baldwin Church. So there's still a lot of people who haven't heard of the mission. And I think you guys who are here tonight, like Father Thimmy said, go out there and tell your friends, tell your relatives, make them aware of this mission, because this mission is really amazing and unique. I had the opportunity to go to Sierra Leone, and let me tell you, that was in the early days. Now, every year, the money that is raised does amazing things because every cent goes there. You know, that is quite a unique mission. When you think of all the missions that are out, there, there's a lot of charities, the money doesn't always go. But with this mission, everything you donate will go there. So, yeah, thank you. Thank is that you. enough of uh,
0: okay, I think that sort of answered that question. Anything else? Yes, one over there.
2: Um, Father Themi, I'd like to ask a question in regards to the extreme feminism that you spoke about. In, in terms of what? The extreme feminist movement. Right. And um, you may be aware that it's coming into our school systems now, into the education system within Victoria. Um, I suppose as a parent, what should our response be to this? Um,
0: It it, it depends what kind of feminism we're talking about. There is benevolent feminism and there's malevolent. You know, um, the, the, the benevolent form has done a lot for women, which is good, right? What we are talking about is the radical one, which is... Um, sort of anti-male, hostile towards the male, uh, aggressive um, that discriminates against the male and in some ways elevates the feminine as the supreme form of existence. So that form of feminism is 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 is, uh, is disharmonious. That's the one you should be worried about.
2: I suppose my question is it's evident that it's coming into our curriculums and um, I'm quite aware of it within my own children's education and I suppose I'm asking do we stay within the school and take a stance and say this isn't acceptable, we're not going to have the children learning this or do we consider extreme things like homeschooling and things?
0: Um, What we do is we build Orthodox schools. That's what we do. I've been pushing this for a long time. Um, The secret of the Roman Catholic tradition are the schools. Despite all the scandals of the Roman Catholic Church, despite all the problems of the Roman Catholic Church, they still go to Catholic schools. And the Catholic Church churches are still full of people, despite all the problems. Why? Because... In the words of Ignatius Loyola, the founder of, Je- of the Jesuit movement, he said, bring me a child up to the age of six. Edu- let me educate a child up to the age of six. And those of you who are child psychologists would know why that is important. And I tell you, they will always be Catholic. So I turn it around and I say, let us edu- let's build Orthodox schools. Let's have our own school so we can preserve our tradition, preserve our culture, and preserve our our faith, right? Because right now, the youth are leaving. I, I go around different churches, Greek Orthodox churches, and I can tell you, in some churches, there's hardly anybody under 40 there. So what's going to happen in 10 years from now, 20 years from now? Are we going to be selling Greek Orthodox churches so the future which we are doing in Sierra Leone is that we are educating young children. We big emphasis on young children. Why? Because they will be the future of the church in Sierra Leone. But it has to happen here as well. We need to have our own schools. So push for that. That's your answer. Because as long as you're in the government school, which I taught for many years, Richmond Tech, Essendon Tech, Lawler High School, I was kicked out of every school. Why? Because I kept telling the children that Jesus is the Son of God. They didn't want to hear that. So I was kicked out of every school because I, I, I talked about Jesus. Had I talked about witchcraft and given, and given projects on witchcraft, I would have been okay. In fact, I would have been very popular. Had I given projects about, you know, uh, uh, lesbian this and that, I, oh, they would have loved me, right? But I, I would talk about Jesus, and therefore um, I had to be removed because I was somehow counterproductive to the agenda. You've got a problem if you're in the government schools. You've got a problem, a conscious problem. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, all together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, now and to the ages of ages. Amen. Through the prayers of our holy fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy upon us and save us. Thank you for coming. I thank Father Chris for the invitation. I apologize for the mechanical, um, the Murphy's Law mechanical issues, and uh, so yeah. And uh, thank you all for coming. God bless you.